Welcome to the Sample Chapter Podcast, the show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books. Here's your host, Jason A. Meiske. Hello, Sample Chapter listeners. Hey, I'm back with episode 234 of the show, and this week we are welcoming indie comic creator Joshua Plack. And uh, he's here this week to discuss his latest creation, a noir detective graphic novel set in 1920s Harlem called Norlem. And it is quite the story. It's a great interview. Uh, we're we're going to be talking about uh, why you should audition your artists, talking the importance of finding your voice in your storytelling, and why the early 20th century is the most fascinating era in time, according to Joshua. Um, all this, plus you're going to learn the meaning and history of a very cool word, eudaimonia, <laughs> which was a new one for me. I had not heard that before, but uh, you're going to hear about that in today's episode, and it's coming up here in just a few moments, so make sure you stay tuned for that. As for me, there's there's not a whole lot to tell right now. Been been very sidetracked, very busy, uh, out of town an awful lot, and then working. Uh, this was my busiest time of the year uh, with uh, with my day job, so I haven't haven't had a lot of downtime, and I had to change up my usual off day when I would work on the show, and having a different day off in the week. I it's funny. Originally, I thought that'd be a great way to get some work done, and instead, it just threw everything way off. Uh, but in in the process, though, the cool thing is, uh, my wife brought me into the house, so I'm no longer in the garage studio I'm now I'm now in an office that I'm sharing with my wife now that she's out of college she doesn't really come in here that often anymore but pretty cool to be in the house again honestly I don't have to worry about the space heater <laughs> all that kind of stuff uh, but yeah that's been kind of a pain as well because the desktop computer that I use with the show had been on the fritz for like a year now I've been talking about that off and on been doing everything from my laptop and it's been acting up lately so i finally got it fixed and working again and then uh got everything moved and positioned so this is actually my first episode in the new office and it's been it's been very time consuming getting everything set up and arranged and uh, hopefully this sounds good you'll have to let me know <laughs> uh, but yeah along the along the lines there I've, i'm not i've hardly made any time at all for writing the last couple of weeks, uh, which is really strange because I, I basically have already written the ending. Uh, well, I mean, I wrote the, the final climactic battle for Bandit there at uh, Worlds of Fun in Kansas City. But, uh, you know, you still got I still got that wrap up chapter at the very end. And that's where I am right now. I just I haven't done that. And I opened it up the other day actually to get some writing done, but I just, I couldn't think of where I was going with it, what I was going to do. And I know what it is now. I wrote, I wrote myself a little note and I hate that feeling whenever you, you forget where you're going with something and you know, life gets in the way. And, and so it's been crazy. But, uh, as for the show, I got some pretty cool news. I've been doing a lot of, uh, a lot of thinking about the show and what I want to do going forward. And, and also thinking about what can I do to make the show even more value to, to you, the listener. And one of the things I've hit on, I've talked to a few authors, I've talked to some podcasters, 
And uh, one of the things like we all agree on is we enjoy shorter length episodes. And so I'm going to be experimenting with that going forward. Um, not this week, but coming up in uh, the next episode, uh, more than likely, the episodes will actually be split into two parts, essentially. So first part of the episode will be me interviewing the author. We'll have you know our usual casual conversation, getting in depth into the author and so on. And those tend to go around you know, 30, 40 minutes, something like that, maybe less. And then that's probably where I'll end that episode. It'll be kind of a cliffhanger, so to speak. The next week is when you'll get the sample chapter. So you'll get to hear from the same author two weeks in a row is what I'm looking at. And that should condense the episodes. You know, I, I'm not a big fan that over time the show continues to grow longer and longer episodes. I've got some, you know, over an hour and, you know, and I'm sure some people are, you know, they're fine with that, but. I'd like to cut them back a little bit and experiment with this going forward. You know, and I can always put them together down the road, but I think it, uh, I think, I think this is you know a cool idea. I think um, people are going to enjoy having something that they're going to be able to listen to in like 30 ish minutes. And, you know, generally the, the readings do not last that long at all. So we're looking at maybe a 15 to 20 minute episode for the reading and uh, we'll still have all the links and the show notes for everything. It'll, it'll essentially be just like any other episode, except the interview and the reading will be separate episodes. We're going to try that out here coming up in uh, the uh, upcoming episodes. And I'm really interested to hear what you think. And so make sure you reach out to me on social media. You can find the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, uh, or you can reach out to the show via email at samplechapterpodcast at gmail.com. And let me know what your thoughts are. Um, if you have if you have ideas before the next episodes come up, sure, go ahead and let me know. Otherwise, you know, hang on and uh, listen to a few episodes with this new format, and then then let me know what you think. So, but anyway, it's uh, it's gonna be a lot of fun, and still got the same fantastic partners over at Pop Goes the Culture Network, home to about a dozen other shows, all of them pop culture related, and all of them a lot of fun. And while you're listening, you can enjoy yourself some writer's block coffee, just like I do, by clicking the link in the show notes or going right over to writersblockcoffee.com and use coupon code SAMPLECHAPTER to get 10% off your order. Anyway, uh, that is all I have for now. So I think uh, I'm going to go ahead and get us on over to our interview with indie comic creator Joshua Black. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, sample chapter listeners all over the world. Hey, we are back today, and I'm I'm really excited. I get a chance uh, so rarely, actually only once ever before, to introduce you to a, a different kind of writer like I have today on the show. We are talking with Joshua J.P. Plack. He is an indie comic creator, graphic artist, and uh, he's bringing to us today his latest graphic novel, New Orleans. And uh, it, this is, it's really cool. It's, it's a, a great uh, noir detective graphic novel set in 1920s Harlem that I, I'm telling you people, I've been looking it over and checking it out and uh, you're going to love this interview from parts everywhere around the world. <laughs> well, help me welcome to the show, JP Plack. 
<laughs> hello, hello. Thanks for having me on. Hey, JP. So how are you doing today? I am doing well. It is a wonderful day out here and happy to happy to be here. Happy to talk to you. I'm happy to have you here. And uh, like I said, this has only ever happened on the show once. Uh, we've been doing the show for about six years, or this is our sixth year uh, for the show and had one other graphic artist on here before. So this is this is a real treat for uh, for me and the listeners. Well, I appreciate the opportunity and I look forward to it. So give us a, a little bit of your background. Uh, are you like, have you been like a longtime writer or illustrator or how did how did this get started? So I, okay, so I've, I've spent like a good portion of my life being like kind of, you know, like a piece of crap, basically. Um, and I really didn't find, you know, a place in life until about 25, 30 years old. I went back to college and I just kind of fell in love with, you know, storytelling at a tiny community college. So I kept with that, you know, I went and I went to the University of Oregon all the way across the country. Um, I found, you know, I just studied literature, found a lot of different styles, kind of developed my own style. I'm actually a poet by trade, um, joined like the creative writing poetry program. And what I, what I basically found was that um, my, my skills as a writer come from doing less with more or sorry, doing more with less. Mm. And so, you know, I, I knew that I was never going to be like a Cormac McCarthy type. That's just very, very long winded and verbose. Um, I kind of say what needs to be said and leave the rest up to the reader. And what I found was, you know, my, my, my last term in college, I, you know, I started studying comic books and getting kind of back into it. And after having studied literature, I just saw it from, you know, completely different lens. It just didn't look the same as it was. And I saw it for this very deep and complex medium of storytelling that I think it is. And when I kind of married my kind of very brief, you know, to the point writing style with comics, you know, it was just like peanut butter and jelly. And I've just been doing it ever since. Wow. Okay. All right. I like that though. I mean, and that's, and that's that's great that you've had that journey of uh, you know finding your style, finding your voice, and uh, discovering it along the way. That's that's important for everybody. And I, I mean, I know authors uh, like myself, we're still kind of struggling, even after a couple of books, going like, well, you know, maybe this last one here's more more my voice. <clears throat> how many how many books have you put out so far? So okay, let's see here. Um, not counting like, you know, cause I'd spent a couple of years getting, you know, publications for like poems and short stories. Um, one, two, three, this will be my fourth book. Um, my third series that I've started. Um, this is my first like proper full length graphic, graphic novel being published by an actual publisher. So this is, yeah, this is really my debut. Wow. That's fantastic. Okay. So let's go back to your first one. What was the first one and uh, how did how did it come about? So when you study literature, um, you know, you, you tend to do it from a canon standpoint. You know, there's a timeline, a history. And at the same time, I was studying um, philosophy and I was studying history. So those are all three. They're essentially three timelines. And what I found was that... Um, they all started to kind of intertwine and align with each other. And for me, like the, the beginning of the 19th century 
is just the most interesting time in human history. Um, you know, we're, we're, it's like post-industrial revolution, post-civil war, everybody's really just starting to figure, figure things out for the, you know, set up for the, you know, the most important century in history. And I just found that, that period to just be so fascinating that in terms of those timelines aligning, I became really fascinated with the literature of the Harlem Renaissance, which you see in New Harlem, um, and World War One, which is what my first book was. It was basically um, a graphic novel series about it told entirely in metered verse poetry about a soldier or actually a group of people during World War One, and it was titled Eudaimonia, um, and it was basically you know it was a book that was. Um, essentially about how people are dealing and managing like the immense and insane levels of grief that came out of World War One, right? Like, so there's never been another war like it. There probably never will. There'll never be a, a war again where you have the combination of very old military battle styles and very new technology meeting one another where you have just thousands of men standing across fields marching towards each other with automatic machine guns it's never going to happen again mm -hmm. and so i just thought it was such a unique you know unparalleled moment in history that i wanted to take it back to you know Take it back to like old storytelling, back when people used to tell stories in metered verse, mm -hmm. because a lot of the soldiers that actually served in the war, you know, when they went to write about their experiences, that's what they were doing. They were basically ignoring, you know, modernist poetic, you know, forms, and they were writing everything in like these old Shakespearean sonnets. So I wanted to kind of like pay an homage to them. And so I just made this giant, weird comic book about a soldier serving in World War One, and everything is rhyming and metered. Wow, that's fascinating. And and I I I hear what you're saying. There is a lot of uh, a lot of truth in the storytelling with that. It's it's hard to imagine a some kind of a of an entertaining story where today, I mean, basically you push a button and wipe out your enemy, and you don't really have a lot of drama from something like that. There's not a whole lot of like, oh man, how do I survive this and and so on. Whereas, yeah, you're right. That early, early 20th century, um, it's full of uh, of great stories. So that's that's pretty cool. Then, so where where did that name come from? Uh, Eudaimonia is from, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, I think it's Aristotelian philosophy, where Eudaimonia is the the definition is basically the good life, um, the life that is worth all of the suffering that we go through just to have. Um, so if you found that life, if you found meaning from, you know, the inevitable pains of existence, then you found your eudaimonia. Okay. Wow. All right. That's, I'm going to have to use that word on my wife. So. <laughs> is she your eudaimonia? She, she is my eudaimonia. That is correct. That is sweet. <laughs> so, Oh man. So is the, is that still available somewhere? Where can people find that? Um, it is. Okay. So I need to, so I did a volume one and a volume two. I'm working on a volume three. Um, the bottom line is it, this was my first campaign. So I was doing all of the printing myself. 
Mm. And I think I made a good decision because when I did it, I had them print this first edition stamp on it, mm-hmm. make it a little bit more of a collector's item. Yeah. So cool. when I've gone to do subsequent, you know, book campaigns and I'm like, Hey, I really don't have a lot of these left. It's something that a lot of people want to snatch up is almost like a, um, like a prestige piece. So that time has ended. So uh, you can't really get it right now. I think it might be on Amazon and print on demand. Um, but if you want like a real deal Holyfield copy, um, you can follow me on YouTube, follow me on Twitter. When I do my Eudaimonia campaign, I'll do a third pressing of it. But yeah, right now, just not a lot. Not, you know, I can't really find it. Okay. All right. That's cool, though. You know, and that's the power of being an indie creator uh, like yourself. And I think I think like a lot of the listeners on here who are indie authors um, gives you that power to make a minimum or minimal print run or make something that's collector or or just you know hey i just discovered a mistake i gotta go back and fix that and you know if you have one of those old copies you know good on you bring it by i'll sign it and you know something like that and yeah 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 everybody loves the first printing mm -hmm. that's cool then so now as far as the the story versus the art how how involved are you in both um so in okay so one of the things i learned is that you know there's a kind of slang that everybody throws around an expression in the indie comic scene where it's like you know i'm just a writer but the reality is that when you're the writer you're really like the director mm. um you know you you write this thing but then you have to like oversee everything else that goes into it right so you have to find an artist you have to find an artist that works Typically, that artist is a penciler. Then you have to find, you know, they might do the inks as well. Then you have to find a colorist. Then you have to find a letterer. Then you have to find a printer. So it really, you basically, you end up wearing a lot of hats. And, mm -hmm. you know, it takes a lot of work. But at the same time, you're the one, it's your property. So you're responsible for that. But also you're responsible for that much of the creation itself. So it's really more yours than anybody else's. That makes sense yeah it does it does okay yeah because it's like i've got uh, a sci-fi series that i'm doing right now that's that's 80s based and so i was trying to describe that to my book cover designer uh because I, I learned right away i'm as much as i loved art growing up i'm no book cover designer i hadn't discovered that the hard way but uh talking it over with with this person and and describing it hey this is kind of what i was thinking but i don't know if this is going to be any good and they came back with their own ideas and it was just like, Oh my gosh, this is, this is great. Uh, but you know, this needs to show this a little more. And I, I like the, the back and forth when yeah. you get, when you get somebody who, who gets it and they, they understand what you're talking about, you get a, a really great back and forth. And uh, I can only imagine what that must be like then to be going scene to scene through the story and, and be like that. Yeah, that's, that's right. Okay. That right hook. I like that, you know? <clears throat> yeah, so a couple things. Number that's one of the things that when I see, you know, self-publishing or you know those kind of scummy, scammy self-publishing houses where they're like they tell you that they're gonna publish you, but like they really publish and print everybody. Mm -hmm. Um and like it's basically a scam, you know, because yeah. um, but man, like I've looked into it because I just I find that to be fascinating and like the lack of effort i see in people's covers is like shocking to me and it's like you know it's 
it's so important. Like it's almost as important as like your elevator pitch. Like people pick up that book. And if you have something that can just grab them like that, you know, there's a reason why YA covers all look the same because that works that, you know, that's what gets people. <laughs> it's the first thing that they look at. So like, mm -hmm. and I've talked to like, you know, I would freaking, I would, I would go online and hire like an oil painter to do a cover if I could, you know what I mean? Like oh, that's yeah. something that is like absolutely worth your time and money. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, and I mean, I've got one of my covers I'm considering re having redone and by no fault of the artist, he was fantastic, but this was his first attempt at it. And he just kind of like went along with my ideas. And over yeah. time I've, I've learned my idea for the cover was not right. <laughs> mm -hmm. it, it, my idea for the cover does not tell you what it is. It makes people think that the book is something different than what it is. And so I, I've been kind of looking around and, and uh, checking out like some of the, they got some of those sites with the pre-made covers because uh, mm. I'm like, oh, I don't know, this book's already been out. I don't really want to spend a lot, but we'll see. And and uh, I like showed a couple to my wife and she goes, oh, well, you know what? Now that you show this and here's here's some covers that kind of fit along with what I was thinking. It's like, yeah, that this cover tells what it's what your book would be like if you went with something like that versus what I have now. I was like, yeah, I need to probably have that discussion with an actual uh artist or rather not an artist that's not the right way to say it uh, an actual book cover designer who understands the theme and understands you know the tropes uh versus an artist friend of mine who did a fantastic job yeah but you know and but he did exactly what i needed or wanted instead of uh you know going back and being like oh well you know that doesn't really sell the story though does it and uh, i didn't have anybody questioning that so <laughs> So I'll, I'll tell you a story, you know, there's, there's really, there's really a lot of unbelievable artists on the internet and they're, and a lot of them are from like South, South, uh, excuse me, South America, parts of Southeast Asia, and they're really affordable. And, and when I say affordable, I mean, the first book I did, Eudaimonia got rave reviews and, you know, a lot of it was for the writing, but a lot of it was really for the art. And if I were to tell people how much I paid, like how much I actually paid per page, like what my, what this person's page rate was, they wouldn't believe me. Like there's just, no, there's no way you got that for, you got this made for that much. So mm. yeah, I mean, if you're looking into that kind of thing, I can recommend, um, there's a site called ArtStation where you can just sit down and like, just browse people's, you know, portfolios and see if anybody, you know anybody grabs your eye and you know throw them an email and see what they have to say about it um i think there there's uh i've gotten books made that were done almost entirely on reddit there's a reddit that's just for collaborating you know on projects like that mm -hmm. so that, that that good stuff is out there and it's it's more affordable than a lot of people might realize that's a great tip that's a great tip i'll have to uh well, I mean, everybody listening is hearing that. So, yeah, we'll have to uh, check that out. And I'll, I'll definitely look into that. That'll be fantastic. So, and, you know, and it, it's always one of those things, too, that uh, some people are like, oh, you know, my book would be a great movie or, um, you know, or different things. I kind of like the idea of uh, like the old, um, the, the 80s style uh, animation is what I would love to have done sometime of, of uh, one of my books. I think that'd be a lot of fun. 
Yeah, mm -hmm. and as and that might be something that might be another thing to look into because you know the technology to to be able to make that stuff you know without it costing a lot of money, it's getting there and it's 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 only going to become more affordable. Yeah. Well, now that's interesting. All right, so you said the technology, and that got me thinking about your uh, your latest book, uh, the New Orleans. And one of the things I noticed on there we were talking about beforehand was the uh, watercolor. So now that was done, and that's done on on a computer. Yeah, that's that's all digital. Wow. Yeah, that's that's amazing. It looks phenomenal. No, at the same time, it somehow just feels right. You know what I mean? Like it, it does. Look... Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I can't explain it. It's got that kind of washed out kind of feeling of uh, of the time. Yeah. yeah. But like, you know, it's not like the tw the 1920s was in watercolor, but it just it just works somehow. Yeah. Now, was and, that something you did or, or no, the artist it, did that? Really what it is, is is that you, I think what a lot of people don't do is they don't give artists auditions. So you know, if I like in, in this example, right, I said, I need a colorist. So I think I paid four people to do a page, you know, like, hey, show me what you got, you know, here's the line art, let me see what you can do. And when this artist came back, and and I looked at it in watercolor, I was like, that's incredible. Okay, the other three of you, I'm sorry, thanks for coming in, but not going to be going not, not going to need you today. Mm -hmm. and, and just that kind of trial and error process until you find, you know, the peanut butter and the jelly. <laughs> That's great. That's great. So, uh, getting back into New Orleans, then, where did uh, where did this story come from? Um, so I mentioned before, you know, early 1900s. I I love the Harlem Renaissance. I think there's so much fantastic art there, and art and literature and poetry. There's just so much going on there, and I think a lot. I think a lot of people just kind of underappreciate it, you know? And when you couple that with, I just love a cozy murder mystery. And I just, I, I couldn't help but notice that, you know, there's just, I, I've never seen a noir murder mystery in 1920s Harlem. And a lot of the things that I create are just really abstract and weird that to just kind of get this, you know, I got a visit from the idea fairy and it was something that was really simple. It's a murder mystery. It's in 1920s Harlem. Nobody's done it yet in, in a comic book or graphic novel. So, you know, be the change that you want to see and make it yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think the second, what really kind of pushed me into doing it is, you know, in comic books, um, there's a lot of alliteration in names. You know what I mean? So right. like yeah. Peter Parker and... Bruce Banner and and so for some reason there's you know there's this guy his name is Coleman Hughes and he's a writer and thinker and he's actually from Harlem and when I heard the name Coleman and there was a wide receiver for the Philadelphia Eagles named Harold Carmichael and so I just put those together Coleman Carmichael is like that is a great that is a perfect <laughs> detective name mm -hmm. you know for a, a guy in 1920s Harlem I was like I just took it from there. Like, all right, let's see what we can do with this. And, you know, the story, the story kind of came about pretty organically, you know, it's, um, it was inspired by, or I shouldn't say the story, but the mystery in, behind the story is there was this guy whose name I just can't remember. Um, 
And his job, his job was in advertising, basically. But what he would do is he would stage these public events um, that were like really covert advertising events. So he would have like, like fashion shows and they would, and everybody would be smoking a certain brand of cigarette and they would all be wearing the same color. And then he would put advertisements that use that color to get people to smoke that cigarette. Um, and then he, I think he ended up working for the state department and did a bunch of like covert things in like South America with, you know, sparking revolutions. <laughs> and so that kind of triggered like the mystery of like, what if there was somebody who was committing murder and they were using the headlines of that murder to kind of, you know, sway the public to do, you know, certain things. Yeah. And that is the story of the Hudson river killer which is who uh, Coleman Carmichael is hunting. Man, that's awesome. It sounds fantastic. Yeah, and I was reading up on it there about the uh, the two unlikely heroes hunting a crazed killer in old New York and uh, the 1920s Harlem. It, it, it just sounds fantastic. So how much he, how much research do you have to do to go into this, to, to like get that era correct? So... Having done, you know, the World War One book and studied that extensively, I focused heavily on the Harlem Renaissance in my academic studies. I had a pretty good base, um, but since I write so much history, research is kind of built into the writing process. Like, so it's it's baked right in there, mm. where you know I sit down, I put on a jazz record, I have my coffee. I write and then I realize that I don't really know something. So now I have to take a detour into historical research, you know, to find out uh, anything from, you know, what kind of guns were used by the, you know, what were the police issue handguns at the time Yeah. to, you know, when were frozen peas introduced on the market, uh, which actually does become very important to the story. Um to so on the on the crowdfunding campaign that i did for this you know because i did one of those before it was actually fully published i'm sorry to i'm, I'm reporting this news even though like listeners are going to know that they missed out on this but <laughs> i had a gold zippo made with the logo on it oh um, wow and so if you back the campaign you got a nice gold zippo for the time okay but it's an anachronism because the Zippo, I think the first Zippo was introduced in 1931. So <laughs> there's like an accidental anachronism by just making this thing to give away to people. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, but it, but it kind of fits yeah. in a way it, it's, it's close. And if you don't, uh, yeah, if it, nobody looks it up, they wouldn't, they wouldn't yeah, know any exactly, better. Exactly. Cause you said that and I just automatically was like, Oh, that's about perfect. And yeah, had you not told me, I wouldn't even thought to look it up and be like, oh, wait. <laughs> yeah, so the books take the book takes place in 1929 because frozen peas were introduced in 1929. Okay. <laughs> All right. That's that's a fascinating tidbit there. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. like that. <laughs> well, you know, it was the first vegetable that scientists figured out how to freeze and have it not spoil. So and then, oh, you know, cool. somebody somebody gets, you know, socked in the snooker. They need something they need like an ice pack to put on their face. So, you know, they get they grab some frozen peas. There you go. Yeah, that way your your steak doesn't uh, go bad. Exactly. Anymore. See, you get it. <laughs> I get it. Which you can cook with your zippo. <laughs> 
we're on a roll now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so now does uh, New Orleans, does it come to a, well, let me see here, right way to put this. Is there a part two? Is this part of a series as well? Um, yes, I'm working on it now. So the first book, there is, there are basically two arcs at play. There's the mystery arc, which has to close, right? Like there's no... We're not doing an old radio show where you have to tune in next week to find out. So that has to come to a complete end. The character arcs, on the other hand, are one that it, it ends in a way that it kind of sets up a future dynamic between the two main characters. Mm. Um, so, I mean, I can spoil the ending. Basically, the, the book ends with them, you know, in a fist fight. And so you have the satisfying end of the mystery, but you're also like, wait, why are they why are they fighting each other? Mm-hmm. I guess I got to get the next book to find out why. <laughs> that's great though. That's, and that's a nice little kind of a cliffhanger uh, where it kind of draws you in when you want to know what's going on next. Yeah. So the, this first story is, is really about it's, it's weaving the mystery in, but it's really about getting this world, you know, establishing the world and the characters. Um, the second book is going to be a little bit more, a little bit less character and a little bit more about really getting into um, the limitations of like crime investigation at the time and mm-hmm. kind of like weaving those up because New York city was essentially like the epicenter for, it was basically the epicenter for, for, you know, what we would think of as like criminal science. Um, okay. So you have a little bit of wiggle room to play in, but I still, I don't want there to be any like major anachronisms for that. I, I forgot to ask you too though now, how how long does it typically take you to to put one together put one of these books um i would say in total about a year um i can crank out a script in usually like three to four months i'm saying this even though this is like my first like full length graphic novel um, my previous books were you know how like a comic book is typically like 20 to 25 pages mm-hmm. um my previous books were a little bit longer than that, but they're not what I would call like a full length graphic novel. They're about, they were kind of in between like 40 to 50 pages. This is my first full one. And yeah, it took about, I'd say in total, like maybe a little bit over a year um, just because there's the process of like, you know, the script, the editing, the art, colors, letters, off to the publisher, any changes need made, and then printing. So yeah, it's a little bit more than a year in total. Okay, all right. So about a year from now, maybe we'll be looking at uh, book two in the series. Oh yeah, yeah. The uh, the if you if you enjoyed that cover, I got that guy back. His name is Kanan White, fantastic artist. He's he's recently uh, given me the line art for book two. It's going to be amazing. Um, loads more of like intrigue and mystery like this first book is them investigating a serial killer and that's really going to be small scale compared to book two. Oh, and and where can people find and follow you to uh, to know when this next book's coming out i am raiden radio on on youtube which is r-a-i-d-e-n-r-a-d-i-o um and eudaimonia comics on twitter all right and everybody we're going to have links to all of that in the show notes as well as where to find the books and uh check out all of jp's books and uh yeah just 
give them a look over and uh, pick one up for yourself. These, these look fantastic, and I'm looking forward to uh, to diving into them myself. I actually have a mailing list. I probably should have mentioned that before, but I'll give that to you to throw in the description. So yeah. you can sign up for the mailing list. I send out you know updates just to like what's going on, what the latest and greatest is. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Where do you sign up for that? Um, it's a website called Indiegogo. It's basically a mailing list for future campaigns. Um, no pressure. Doesn't cost anything to sign up or yeah, just your email. And every couple of weeks or so you'll get an emailing email from me, letting me know what's going on. All right. Indiegogo mailing list. So I'll have a link for that as well. So everybody can just click that link, get right over there. You can sign up and then that we'll be alerted when the, uh, next book is coming out but i would also invite everybody to go check out his youtube page and uh i'm sure you'll be talking about it as it uh, as it gets prepared and gets closer yes, yes. to mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. fantastic jp this has been a blast man i'm i'm learning new things i'm learning new words and uh <laughs> having a good time at the at the same time really enjoyed talking to you today thanks again i appreciate you all right ladies and gentlemen time for me to sit back with a cup of writer's block coffee and I'm going to hand the floor over to my guest, Joshua J.P. Plack, with what's going to be a fun reading, I'm sure, of his graphic novel, New Orleans. So we open with chapter one, uh, which is called um, Salted Tomatoes. Very kind of random, like an old jazz song kind of a thing. Uh, we open our story in what was called a rent party. This is something that was very common in 1920s Harlem, where um, you, you know, you don't have the rent that month, you know, maybe you put a pot of uh, some good food on the stove, you get a band to come over, you charge a cover, and you're able to, to, to make things, uh, to make the rent for the month, basically. So we open on this party and we see a jazz band playing in the living room. There are couples dancing. There are people just sitting and enjoying the music when we see Coleman Carmichael walking past outside where a woman says, Coleman, honey, come on in for a spell. It is burning up. To which Coleman says, oh, I know it. The way Lionel's on that snare, I'd say the missus made the coffee strong today. But tonight I have a date with the page. Papers to grade and more to read. I'll be sure to make the next one. We then see Coleman sitting at his desk, reading as he usually does. But back at the party, we see that the drummer has stepped away from the band for a minute to use the restroom. Back to Coleman, still at his desk reading, but he notices that something is a little bit off. The music doesn't sound the way it should. Back to the party where we see the woman from the hall earlier opening the bathroom door only to find the drummer on the toilet, dead as a doornail. She screams and we see Coleman jumping up from his desk. We cut to outside and later as there are police and paramedics carrying a body out of the apartment building. We see Coleman standing next to a group of women smoking a cigarette. The women are crying. We now see Coleman walking over to the police officers and he says, you can forget heroin officers. That is, if that's what you were thinking. That is, if you were thinking. We cut to the two police officers as one says to the other, sir, I think, but the senior officer cuts him off. A Negro with a needle dead on the john Get in the car, Officer Baldwin. We then see the two police officers getting back in their vehicle and driving away as Coleman stands in the street, looking on angrily. We cut to the next day in Coleman's apartment where he is teaching 
or more accurately, tutoring a group of students. The younger police officer from the night prior stands in the doorway. D'accord, tout le monde, sortez, says Coleman, instructing the students to go ahead and leave. And Claude, so help me, if you don't have book two finished by tomorrow, you'll be left behind, son. The officer then walks in. Book two, Corinthians? The Iliad, says Coleman, and I did not say you could enter, officer. Your door was open, replies the officer. My door is open to inquiring minds, and you are a police officer. Far as I can tell, those are mutually exclusive. Well, then please accept my apology for the intrusion. I only came to tell you, you were right. What you said last night, but I'll leave you to your work. Wait, go on. Oh, I don't know. This is private information, and besides, you're not family, are you? Had the syringe tested, clean as a whistle. Question is, how do you know? Lionel Williams wouldn't touch a needle if his life depended on it. Simple as that. But you're asking the wrong question. Which is, how did I know it needed to be said? How did I know that you needed to hear it? You're forgetting what did happen in that bathroom. Oh, shoot, that part is simple. Cut to a flashback of Lionel in the bathroom. Lionel was cooking. He'd gone and tuned that snare of his with gut wire for that fat, wet roll. Now our host, Mrs. Hurston, is a nurse, meaning she probably keeps her work at home in case of emergency. Poor Lionel had no idea that he was so close to his greatest fear, much less conjuring it. We see Lionel rhythmically slapping on his legs and a needle flying out of the medicine cabinet. And all that's left is for fear and instinct to kick in. We see Lionel reacting to the needle in his leg by slamming down on it with his hand, causing him to force an air bubble into his veins. Back to their conversation. Air embolism. Straight to the heart and dead before the song ends. Well, that's a relief, said the officer. I failed to see it, officer. A kind, hardworking member of my community died on the toilet in a tragic accident. I'm sorry. What I mean to say is, there isn't a murderer I need to bother looking for. Well, I'm happy you found closure. Will the New York police share in that sentiment? Or will they continue believing that Mr. Lionel Williams of Harlem died of a heroin overdose while taking a shit? I I'm, I'm sorry if there was something I could... You can go tell the grieving Mrs. Williams the truth and apologize for your institutional impotency that says her dead husband was a junkie. Whom do you serve, officer? I serve the people of... No, sir. You serve the truth, for truth be all our masters. Now go serve. There you go, everyone. That was Joshua J.P. Pleck reading a sample from his noir detective graphic novel, Noirlum. He actually sent me a copy of it, and it is really awesome. That is a great comic and one I recommend you go and check out for yourselves. Click the link in the show notes for that and where to follow Joshua, so that way you don't miss out on anything else he's got coming up. Don't forget to also 
Check out Writer's Block Coffee in the show notes or our friends at Pop Goes the Culture Network. And hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out next time when I'm back with a new author, a new book, and a brand new sampled chapter. Take care, everyone. Going to see you again real, real soon.